Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Hello, everyone. For this episode, we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 25. This is the halfway point of the book of Genesis, 50 chapters long, and we are in chapter 25. So I hope and pray that the things that we have discussed thus far have been an encouragement for you. And while I strive to make things interesting and I want to possibly bring things to light that you've never considered before. My desire in all of this is that your faith would be strengthened, that you would grow in your walk with Christ because of what we are doing here. So thank you again for listening. Thank you for taking the time to hear what I'm teaching. And as always, may God bless our time together as we read the word of the living God, beginning at Genesis 25, verse 1. Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Ledashim, Leumim, and the sons of Medan were Ephah, 
Ephur, Hanok, Abadai, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohor, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt in Be'er Lehi-Roi. Now this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's maidservant, bore to Abraham. And these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nebajoth, then Kedar, Abbaal, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Mesa, Hadar, Tema, Jetur, Nephish, and Kedamah. These were the sons of Ishmael, and these were their names by their towns and their settlements, twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years, and he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They dwelt from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go toward Assyria. He died in the presence of all his brethren. This is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan, Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's hill. So his name was called Jacob. 
Isaac was 60 years old when he bore them. So the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So as I begin today, I will offer a brief summary of this chapter. Um, here we see that Abraham takes another wife, Keturah, and in his old age, Abraham has six sons with Keturah. We truly don't know that much about them. We do know that when Abraham dies, Isaac receives the full inheritance. So these other sons were given gifts, but Isaac is clearly the son of promise. It is Isaac who I believe was keeping written records and he continues to record the generations that we have in this chapter. He talks about the 12 princes, which we'll discuss a little more later. And he talks about some of the descendants of Ishmael, his half brother. But as we've mentioned before, these lines of genealogy that are not relevant to the promised line of the Messiah, they kind of fade away in scripture and we begin to focus only on the line which leads to Christ. So no doubt uh, Isaac had been instructed by Abraham on the worship of the one true living God. And Isaac knew that through his line, the promised savior would come someday. And so beginning at verse 27, we see that you've got two boys that have been born to Isaac. We have Esau and we have Jacob. And now we come to this word love again. And we see that Isaac loved Esau. Esau was an outdoor type. I kind of picture him as a rugged type of guy. The Bible says he was a skillful hunter. And what we need to see here is that there is a favoritism. There's a preference from Isaac, the father, to Esau, the older son. And so here when the Bible says that Isaac loved Esau, it doesn't mean that he loved Esau at the exclusion of Jacob, his other son, but it simply means that he favored Esau. So question here, do you think that the sons and other members of the family knew of that favoritism? Of course they did. You can't keep something like that secret. It's obvious when it happens. And we see here a different son also, Jacob. 
And this one is the one that was loved by his mother, Rebecca. And the word of God tells us that Jacob stayed home in tents. He also tended the flocks and the herds. And again, the same rule applies here. It doesn't mean that Rebecca did not love Esau, but it does mean that she favored Jacob. And I get the idea here that Jacob may have been kind of what we call a mama's boy. So if you wanted to think of the outdoorsy type of person who likes the outdoors, an outdoor sportsman, hunting, fishing, camping, just kind of setting traps out there in the woods and really uh, an outdoorsy man of the earth, a dirt kind of guy. That's Esau. That's your man, kind of hairy. And then on the other hand, we have Jacob, maybe a little bit more mild-mannered, not so much about getting dirty, um, but kind of working in the house, staying close to mama and being in the tent, probably uh, getting a bath every night, you know, not not a big fan of dirt. And um, so you have two very different kinds of young men here. So Esau comes in from the field one day and he's hungry and he asked Jacob for some food. And Jacob does something here which tells us a little bit about Jacob's character. And we're going to see these traits and these behaviors come out in Jacob's life as we continue to study the life of Jacob here in the book of Genesis. But Jacob sells a bowl of red beans for the price of Esau's birthright. Esau was the older. And you have to know what this means in that culture. As the older brother, Esau would receive the greatest inheritance upon Isaac's death. He would also receive a blessing intended for the firstborn. Indeed, when we read the scriptures here, we see that the Holy Spirit would move upon the hearts of these patriarchs and they would prophesy or literally tell the future Use, usually this appears to us in scripture and in poetic form. That would be Hebrew poetry. But they would tell what God was going to do in the future through the line of this oldest son or through the son receiving the blessing. And so it appears to Jacob, or it appears from the reading at least, we can imply that Jacob thought that Isaac was going to get everything, or going to give everything, rather, to Esau. Let me say that again because we're talking about three different people here. It appeared to Jacob that Isaac, the father, was going to give everything in the inheritance to Esau, who is Jacob's older brother. But God had chosen Jacob, the younger brother. And by doing this trade for a bowl of beans, Jacob actually ends up in the long run hurting himself because he didn't win the favor of his brother, nor is he going to win the favor of his father, which is ultimately what he wanted here. And it would have been better to trust God in quiet prayer You know, God's got a plan. God's going to work things out. Can you imagine the great blessing that comes when you are patient and you wait 
on God. Don't try to manipulate. Don't try to do things yourself. Let God do what God is going to do. So as a side note here, the word Edom, which is mentioned here in this passage, it means red. And you will remember that Esau came out red when he was born. And it says he was covered in hair. So we learn later on in scripture that Esau is the father of what would become the nation of the Edomites, Edom, the Edomites. And remember within Rebekah, before they were even born, God revealed that there were two nations inside of her. And as we study the history of Israel, we find again and again that there is a betrayal. There is this antagonistic action coming from the Edomite people against God's people, Israel. And interestingly, we know that the last known Edomite in Scripture was Herod, and this would be the Herod who tried to kill Jesus. And remember that Jesus is the true king of Israel, and here is Herod sitting in a position of rulership, an Edomite. And the wise men came, and if you know the story there at Christmas, Herod sends out a notice. He tried to kill the king of Israel. So remember out of all of this, God had chosen Jacob and the line of Jacob, not Esau. So that was kind of a summary, overview, introduction, and I kind of got that out of the way. So let's move on and we're going to take it a little bit slower and some smaller chunks here. We're going to look at the first 10 verses. So let's examine these verses and go a little bit deeper. Genesis 25 verses 1 through 10, we see that Abraham took another wife. And we're not given any details of this relationship. How did they meet? Well, we don't really know. We're not given a date in relation to other events. We just know that Keturah is mentioned here after the death of Sarah. And here in Genesis, the word for wife or the word wife is used. But if you look in First Chronicles chapter 1, verse 32, Keturah is called a concubine. Interestingly, here in verse 6 in Genesis 25, we see the sons of Abraham's concubines, plural. So there's an implication here in Scripture that Abraham had more than one concubine. And so... This is a strange custom to us here in the West, especially in modern times, but it was customary for the ruler or the chieftain of a tribe or a clan to have wives and concubines. And it's important to point out here that even though um, I believe I can support this from scripture. This is not God's ideal plan. When he created Adam and Eve, he created one man and one woman. Nowhere in scripture are we commanded to have multiple wives, although this was a practice that was done in the ancient world and is still practiced in some places today from my understanding. Uh, it's not scriptural. So just because we see something happening in Scripture does not mean that the Bible is 
saying that it's okay for you to do that. It's not necessarily condoning it even. It's simply recording the facts as they were at that time. So we see that Abraham had concubines, plural. This is also interesting to point out uh, to our uh, audience. Let's think about this. God uses imperfect people. These patriarchs, these men of the faith, these men who had favor from God, favor with God, men who had done tremendous things, uh, righteous things, good things in the sovereign plan of God for their life. They were also sinners and they also made mistakes and they also did things that weren't correct. Yet God still used them. This speaks of God's grace, even here in the Old Testament, his grace giving Abraham things that Abraham did not deserve, his mercy withholding the punishment that Abraham deserved. And there's a phrase here too that I would like for us to pay attention to here in verse 6. It says that Abraham did these things while he was still living. In other words, he sends away the other sons. It says he sends them away eastward, away from Isaac. And so why is it in verse 6, it, it says, why does it use this phrase, while he was still living? What's Abraham doing here? Why is he sending off his sons with another woman, these half-brothers of Isaac? Why is he sending them away? Well, he was attempting to ensure his son Isaac's inheritance. In other words, Isaac is the one who's been chosen by God, and he was sending these sons away um, because these sons may cause trouble for Isaac, the son of promise. So Abraham gives them gifts, but he did not give them this first son's blessing. And remember, Isaac, I'm sorry, um, yes, Isaac was not the firstborn, but he was the firstborn of Sarah. And that is where the promise was said to uh, by God that the promise would come from. It was not going to come through Hagar. It was not going to come through concubines or somebody else. So we see here an attempt by Abraham to secure things legally and geographically for Isaac. These things are for Isaac alone. And we should also notice that the names of the sons mentioned here in verses uh, all the way back in verse two and verse four, all the way through verse four, we have here the names of people groups that are still associated with uh, Syria today, still associated with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia today, uh, all throughout the Middle East. And you can look at the table of nations, which you also find in the book of Genesis and see if you see any of the names of these guys there in the table of nations. And we should also say a few words about the death of Abraham. I'm reminded here of Hebrews chapter 11. You can go to verses 13 through 16 specifically. But we see that Abraham is in this hall of faith. And he died in faith, believing God for a land of promise that he was yet to see with his physical eyes. But imagine at this point, toward the end of Abraham's life, his faith in God has grown he knows that God can bring the birth of a child 
to an infertile woman who is advanced in years. He knows that God will protect Isaac, the son of promise. He knows now that at the age of 175, that God has fulfilled his promise that Abraham would live to a good old age, it says. And this is a fulfillment of that promise found back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 15. So remember, back in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, you're going to live a good to a good old age. So Abraham now knows at the end of his life that God is the only one that you can trust to keep his word. Promises of men will fail you. Listen, material things are not going to last. And often it seems as though the very fabric of our society is hanging by a thread. It's, it's coming unraveled. It's coming undone. Friends, kings and kingdoms will pass away. But there's one thing that you can count on. And that is the word of God. If God says it, it's final. That's it. It's not up for debate. God keeps his covenants. So let's move ahead to verses 11 through 18. And I want to draw your attention to a phrase there. And it's this phrase, these are the generations of, or another translation will say, this is the genealogy of. Anytime you see this phrase throughout the book of Genesis, um, you'll find something similar to it. These are the generations of, or this is the genealogy of, and then it'll give you a list of names. And you may notice that they're difficult to pronounce. We don't use these words every day in the English language. But it's kind of like an introduction to a new major development in the narrative that we find in Genesis. So one thing is being closed out and a new subject is uh, going to be opened up. It's a way of drawing one segment of the narrative to a close. And then we focus on what is going to come next as a result of everything that has happened before. So in verses 17 and 18, we read of Ishmael's death. And remember, he's the son of Hagar. He was the son that came about because of the wild idea that Sarah had. You may remember all of that. We're not going to go into that here. But after Ishmael was sent away, uh, and Abraham essentially divorces Hagar, there's not much else recorded on uh, Hagar, and there's not much recorded on Ishmael until his death. We get two short verses verses on Ishmael's death, and we must assume at this point, most probably Hagar is dead at this point. And I have wondered what kind of life Ishmael had to carve out for himself. I wonder if he had it tough sometimes. I wonder how often he thought of his father and his half-brother. I wonder what was it like for Ishmael. See, Ishmael didn't have any choice in these matters. And we have a couple of phrases here, and this is really all we have concerning Ishmael in the Scriptures. The first phrase I want you to consider is that he was gathered to his people. 
And this is a, an idiom. It's a Jewish idiom, which means that Ishmael died and was now resting with those who preceded him in death. And along with the geography of where his descendants settled, we find that he died in the presence of his brethren. And this simply means that there was a gathering of him, to him um, of children, of grandchildren, um, possibly many other family members, people that we don't know. They're not recorded. And often, even today, when there's a death in a family, it can become sort of like a family reunion because people come to mourn the death of a family member. And often there's family members that haven't seen each other in years, but they'll come to a funeral. And we certainly see what that that could be something that was happening here. So again, not a lot of details are given about the life of Ishmael, but we can see from these verses that there was certainly enough respect given to him at his death. Think about this, that this gathering of family members it's been recorded in the Word of God for all eternity. And now from verse 19 through the end of the chapter, we're going to find the groundwork being laid for many future conflicts, many future conflicts. In fact, we're going to see this play out from here through Genesis 35. That's right, for the next 10 chapters in the book of Genesis, we're going to see conflict. We're going to see conflict between Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. And then we're going to see conflict, which it's already started here, between Jacob and Esau. And keep in mind that Esau is favored by Isaac, while Jacob is favored by Rebecca. And we're going to see conflict between Jacob and his uncle Laban. And remember that Laban was the one who hosted Abraham's servant after Rebekah had come out to the well. Laban is Rebekah's brother. And later we're going to be introduced to two different women. One, her name is Leah, and one, her name is Rachel. And there's going to be conflict there also. And finally, we're going to see Jacob in conflict with the angel of the Lord. An angel of the Lord here in my Bible, it is capitalized. So there's a messenger, which is what angel means. There's a messenger of the Lord. And in this case, what we are actually going to be seeing is another theophany, an appearance of God. Uh, in this case, God in the flesh in the Old Testament. And of course, what does that mean? Well, that means it was Jesus. It was the pre-incarnate God in the flesh. So I would suggest that you take the time to actually sit down and draw a family tree with these people so that you can see who we're talking about in terms of who they are related to. And of course you can find all kinds of study aids where that's already been done for you. And it shows you who's related to who, but I have found that if I do it for myself, I tend to remember it better than if I'm just reading something else that someone else put together. 
So I'd like to read a quote from R.C. Sproul at this point because I think it fits quite nicely with what's going to happen over the next 10 chapters. And this is what he says. He says, At the story's core is the promise to Abraham passed on to Isaac and Jacob. The promise is elaborated to include God's protective presence. Overarching the entire story is God's sovereign good pleasure. He opened Rebekah's barren womb, established the supremacy of Jacob over Esau, contravened human customs regarding firstborn rights, and overrode Isaac's patriarchal authority, Laban's social position, and Esau's military might. And so it began. It began before they were even born. There was a struggle between Jacob and Esau. Notice that God chose Jacob. The prophet Malachi points to God's choice of Jacob as proof of God's preference of the nation of Israel in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And as we move into the New Testament, in Romans we are reminded that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Look up Romans 9, 13. And I, I really encourage you to read the entire chapter of Romans 9. But Paul is discussing here God's mercy and God's compassion. This is a passage that our Armenian friends want to explain away. They don't like what it says, and they don't like the implications that Paul is making here. But Paul is saying that God is sovereign in his work of salvation. And I encourage you to think about the very definition of the words mercy and compassion. Because it says here that God will have mercy on whom he has mercy, and he will have compassion on whom he has compassion. You see, you and I are sinners, and as sinners, we are in no place to demand that God saves us. We can't demand his mercy. We can't demand his compassion. God gives it to whomever he chooses based upon his good pleasure, working all things for his glorification. But there's even more to that here in Romans 9. Just as God chose Jacob, the younger, over Esau, the older, God has now chosen Gentiles, figuratively speaking, the younger, to be part of his family over the Jews who are figuratively speaking, the older. Notice, too, that God has made this choice before they were even born. Thus, God's choice is not based upon anything the creature did or anything the creature was going to do. Read Romans 9.11. Really, read the whole chapter so you keep it in context. Now, if you're listening to this episode and you think that you had anything to do with your salvation, I would remind you that God has a right to dispense his blessings according to his own sovereign will. And that as God, he is the creator of all things and thus he has unlimited authority over it all. I would encourage you to consider that God actually does exercise his sovereignty. He does not consult with his creatures 
on what he must do. Who counsels God, friends? Who are you to give God counsel? Let me answer that question for you. Who counsels God? No one does. No one does. He does all things according to what? The counsel of his own will, the Bible says. So I'm going to close with this. Dear Christian, we are bound to come before God with massive gratitude. Do not think you're amazing at the start of this whole thing, and that's why God chose you. He just couldn't do it without you. He saw something in you that was just fantastic, and God had to have it. No, that's not it. God doesn't want for anything. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15.10 that it is by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. How is Paul what he is? He tells us, well, it's by God's grace that I am what I am. See, we have no grounds for arrogance, but we do have every reason to be on our face before God and humble thanksgiving. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out not only in you but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in Him. <music>